0: Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 600 with Chad Hauser.
1: You know, so food to me was about camaraderie. It was about family. It was about love. It was about that bond. It was about breaking bread together. It had nothing to do with making money.
0: Are you ready for It Factors Success Stories? failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. I'm sure you've heard of Revel but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel Point of Sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com/un unstoppable. So with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Chad Hauser. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? There's only one way to live, my friend. (laughs) Yes, good answer. So Dallas native and graduate of El Centro College, Chad Hauser has over 20 years of experience in hospitality. After 17 years as chef, Chad sold his partnership at Parigi Restaurant to devote his full attention to Cafe Momentum in 2012. Cafe Momentum is a Dallas-based restaurant and culinary training facility that transforms young people's lives by providing a positive environment in which at-risk youth who have spent time in juvenile facilities receive intense mentoring, culinary job, and life skill training, enabling them to achieve their full potential. Man, I cannot wait to dive into your story and to make an example of you, really, because you're doing such amazing work. But let's get that motivational inspiration operational ball rolling with a success quote or macho what do you got for us
1: people that actually solve problems very rarely complain about them
0: mm, dive into that how does that resonate with you
1: you know, it's a mantra for me. Uh, you can waste your time complaining all day long about what's going wrong or what the issue is or how it's affecting you. Uh, and that just 100% takes away your time from actually figuring out how to solve it.
0: Yeah, you know, you, you hear it all the time. and You see it all the time where people say, well, point at something. and say, somebody's got to fix this. Somebody needs to do something about yeah. this we need to do something about it right like we we are the solution be the change you want to see i think that's the second time i've used that quote in two episodes so i'm probably gonna find a better (laughs) quote Uh, but it's it's an awesome quote the gandhi quote be the change you want to see in the world right
1: well at at the end of the day is who can make you happy Mm. uh you know there are people that can annoy me frustrate me whatever i can have a bad day whatever i'm the only person that can turn that day around I'm the only person that can make myself smile at the end of the day. Man. Um, so I, if I see a problem, I need to fix it instead of wasting my time. I get bored too quick. So to th- sit and think about wasting time, precious time, on complaining about something when I could just fix it, yeah. it it's a no-brainer.
0: I love it, man. Great way to get this thing started. So where does the story start for you? When did you know you wanted to commit your life to food and beverage and hospitality? <laughs>
1: um, you know, I grew up in a household where, uh, going to college was mandatory. My parents told me, you know, you're going to graduate high school, you're going to go to college, you're going to get a degree, you're going to work, you're going to be successful, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so when I got to college, uh, I went because I was supposed to, I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life, but that wasn't acceptable. Right. Um, and so, uh, after two years of college, um, the most appealing thing to me that I thought would check the box for my parents was to get a degree in English literature. Okay. I have always loved cooking. I've had a passion for cooking since I was young. Um, so I told my parents that when I graduated college with a degree in English literature, I was going to then go cook. That way I could do what I wanted to do, but I had you know fulfilled my, my obligation to them. My dad, of all people, and if you knew my father, the... Uh, Reagan-era conservative man um, of all people told me, um, "Why don't if you love to cook, then why don't you just go to culinary school?" Which is about the equivalent of him saying, "Son, if you love playing guitar, then let's just buy you a van and let you tour the country." <laughs> um, and uh, so I did. I went to culinary school. In hindsight, I realized what he was thinking is. What in the hell is he going to do with an English literature degree other than sleep on our couch the rest of his life? So, uh, you know, it was a win-win for him. Um, But that was it. I went to culinary school, and I had one goal in mind, and that was to own a restaurant and be chef of the restaurant. And um, that's what I did in in 2007 when I I sold my house, took out all the equity, took out a loan, and and bought into a Parigi Restaurant.
0: How old were you at this time?
1: I was uh, just shy of my 32nd birthday.
0: Just I have your thirty seconds. So okay. Um, so you were there for one year then. Okay.
1: Well, no, I was uh, I I was co owner of Pre-G for five years. Okay. Um, my first year of ownership I always kinda laughed because um, in in like in the world of business books, I did everything wrong. Um so I, I, I mortgaged everything that I had to buy into what is a you know, a restaurant <laughs> which is volatile enough at the same time that our economy tanked, uh, and restaurants were closing left and right. Um, and, and, you know, I remember thinking to myself, you're an idiot. Like you're, you let your ego get in the way and here you are, uh, you'll be washing dishes for the rest of your life just to pay off a stupid debt because you wanted to own a restaurant. Um, but my first year of ownership, I helped grow the business 38%, uh, in spite of all of that. And, um, I, I was uh, nominated by a, a local publication here in Dallas, D Magazine, as best up and coming chef. Um, and then I thought, "You risk taking genius, like right?" Like I was like, "I, I should roll the dice more often. This is brilliant." Um, but it was it was right at the one year mark of ownership that I had the opportunity to teach eight young men. Inside a Dallas County Juvenile Detention Facility, how to make ice cream for ice cream competition at the Dallas Farmers Market. Okay, um, and that's what it led to the, the the path and creation of Cafe Momentum. So
0: let's dial back. I kind of want to get a sense of who you are, how you got these values, uh, who your key mentors were, who your key influences were, any big lessons. So, what were you doing? Bef- I mean, how old were you when you graduated from El Centro College? How much time elapsed from buying into this restaurant to graduating? I was.
1: Uh, I- Gosh, nineteen ninety eight. So um, I have to do the math. I think I was just shy of my twenty third birthday. Yeah, I guess I'm, yeah. I'm
0: asking because so almost you, there's ten years of you being in the industry, right? Working in restaurants. Well,
1: I, and, and, yeah, and I always laugh. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read the Malcolm Gladwell book Outliers, yes. but he's got the whole chapter about ten years or ten thousand hours. So it was at the <laughs> nine year mark um, that I. I had the opportunity to buy into Pre-G. And that
0: 10 years or, or 10,000 hours is to become a master, right? So oh, yeah, to
1: become a master. Yeah. Right. And and that was... Um, uh, I always laugh and say, you know, is accelerated in the restaurant industry because you're not working 40 hours a week. You're working 80, 90, 100 <laughs> hours a week. I think my 127 hours was my record of how many hours I worked in one week once. Jeez. Yeah, Yeah.
0: So... Who were your key mentors coming up in the industry? How Who formed you into the man you are today with the values you have?
1: You know, in and out of the industry, I've had so many mentors. Uh, you know, my the greatest mentor I've ever had is is an incredible man by the name of Bill Stedding. And um, I'll never forget um, being at a point in my life um, where it was, you know, uh, about a year, year and a half before I had bought into Parigi and um, sitting down with him one day and just trying to figure out my life and career. You know, at that point in time, I was around 30 years old, um, which I think is where a lot of us have that conversation, like, what are we doing with our lives kind of conversation. (laughs) Um, And, you know, in my mind, I was like, I can't peel potatoes forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, he sat down with me one day, and he said, um, we were talking, and I was just kind of going through a bunch of stuff, and he just looked at me, and he said, what do you want? And I looked at him. I said, well, like, like philosophically or financially or, and he just looked at me with this look like Michael Jordan would look at Carl Malone before he (laughs) drove the lane. He just looked at me and he slammed his hand on the table and he said, look, when I was your age, I wanted to make enough fucking money so I could retire at the age of 40 and never have to worry about money again. And I did it. What do you want? and I, scared to death, just kind of looked at him and was like, um, I mean, that sounds pretty cool. He said, you can't have my goal. Pick your own. What do you want? Uh, and that really, you know, a year and a half later, I was co-owner of a restaurant, um, and it was really funny. I think for me, um, what I realized was it doesn't matter. what My goal was I love the band Wilco, and I said, I, I want to have them play my 40th birthday. Um and I, I would I kinda laughed at myself at first and I was like, But you know what, that's a finite goal. So if I make the choices to make that happen, then who cares what the goal is? Just put something out there and then if it means that much to you, do what it takes. Uh, to make it happen. Subsequently, they didn't play my 40th birthday, but I did sit by myself drinking whiskey and listening to them on my 40th birthday. (laughs) So I feel like it was a win.
0: (laughs) Well, we got to pull back the layers on this because what Bill did for you is he helped you create a vision. He helped you set a goal. And when you have a goal, when you have an aiming point, when you have a destination, you have something to work towards. You can make progress. If you don't have a destination and you're just in life reacting, you are you going to get?
1: No, you're exactly right. And I mean, something as simple as just saying, what do you want? I mean that's a that's a simple question.
0: It's a, it's the most simple question. Yeah.
1: What do you want for dinner? I can name off three things that I'm starving for right now, right? <laughs> what do you want to drink? What kind of coffee? what do you want? Yeah. But but when you when you don't add that for dinner or to drink or whatever all of a sudden it opens up and it I think it invokes a little bit of fearness mm-hmm. of like of the unknown but just you know for me it was just it, what do I want? I want something tangible. What is that tangible thing to have, what, what, to have them play my 40th birthday. What do I have to do to get there? And then making, you know, making every decision based off of that. It's, it's very similar to what are your core values? You know, I have, uh, I have, I'm I'm working through a leadership class and came up with my core values and that led to guiding principles. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my life is dictated by decisions that are reflective of those values. Yeah.
0: And, oh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, it was one year to the day that you had this conversation with your mentor, Bill, that you went and you, you, part- you invested in a partnership. Oh, did you, say, did you say to him what you wanted? Did you ever come up with that statement of what you wanted? I'm curious.
1: That was it. I said I wanted to have Wilco play my 40th birthday. Okay, and I was too intimidated to okay. tell him that um, that day. And it was a big question, right? Yeah. And nobody had ever asked me that question before. I mean, what do you want to be? But that's so far away. I want to be a you know, you're a little kid. I want to be an astronaut. You know, I I wanted to be a a professional football player. I was four eleven in the ninth grade. It wasn't happening.
0: I wanted to be a Uh, pilot. I did that. I was like, "What the hell did I do? This sucks." (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, uh, so what about any other key mentors? Uh, I mean, we're only tapping on like one year, one mentor of your life leading into the first ownership. Uh, situation you're in any other key mentors any other key lessons
1: well yeah I think there's a conglomeration of mentors um, and, and I'm going to put it underneath the umbrella of entrepreneur um, when I was in in uh, in high school I worked at a record store called Bill's Records and Tapes um, largest independent record store in the United States of America and Bill Wisner who is an incredible uh, amazing man with an unbelievable story um, was kind enough to you know pull back the curtain and, and and let me learn how uh he ran his record store how we built it what was his story um a very outlier story but with a mixture of a bunch of different things that that were stirred in the pot to make it happen my first job in cooking uh was for a gentleman named greg rankin and and greg built a very successful catering company and uh cookie dough business all on his own his story you know sharing his story with me of how Um, He was secretly cooking for a fraternity when he was supposed to be going to law school and not telling his (laughs) parents um, to becoming the private chef for Ray Nasher, who is the largest uh, private sculpture collector in the world. And and how that translated to him opening a catering company and um, how he built this business, allowing me to be a part of running his business, um, being selfless enough to allow allow me to make mistakes and learn from them. Um, He was an incredible mentor. Um, My former business partner, Janice Provo, I mean, she runs one of the best restaurants in Dallas at Parigi, and um, for her to to give me the opportunity to learn who I was and and share her wisdom with me, those are all um, three incredible, incredible, and incredibly successful entrepreneurs that, uh, you know, to steal a, a cooking term, um, very selflessly allowed me to watch how the sausage gets made, uh, <laughs> yeah. and 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 were raw and honest about it, and giving of their of their wisdom, and um, I've been fortunate enough to take a little bit from each
0: of them uh, to apply here today. So I mean. I love this stuff And you're, you're dropping gold on us And the, the thing to take away From what you just shared with us Is go surround yourself With successful people Go learn from successful people Dissect what they're doing Learn how they got to where they are And apply it to your own life You mentioned something else That really stood out to me this, this gentleman He said he let you make mistakes He was selfless enough To let you make mistakes yeah. To learn from them why is that so important? Dive into this approach that he took. If you can remember, re- reflecting, reflecting back at his approach and how he did this, what what, what do you remember?
1: Well, probably because he was patient. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, this is a man that when I started working for him, um, I guess was probably where I am today. He had over 20 years experience um, in the industry and, and far more experience than I ever had. And he was just patient with me and... Uh, of, of course, when you're um, working... I worked for him for nine years. Um, so, you know, I started off as a prep cook. So
0: that was the big bulk of your come up, working the, Oh, the yeah. The nine first years. nine
1: years of my career was working for him. And, and that, was, um, that was my learning everything. How a kitchen runs, how to put together prep lists, how to forecast, how to... You know, in December in the catering world is hell. Uh, that's the 127-hour weeks. I mean, I would work in the first three weeks of December uh well over four hundred hours. I mean just wow. like, you know, you put them throwing them together. Um maybe three fifty, but uh I like to exaggerate sometimes. But <laughs> no. um but uh he would let me put those things together and I didn't always know what I was doing, but rather than doing them for me, he would let me do them. Um and if and if and if I didn't do it right I had the opportunity to go to him and and talk about it and say, man, this isn't working, this is whatever, and he would coach me um, as opposed to beating me up or telling me I'm dumb or telling me I'm bad, um, telling me I'm not going to make it. Um, they were learning opportunities for me, and he allowed me to, those learning opportunities.
0: Beautiful. What else did he teach you? You say he taught you everything about business. So beyond culinary school, you got to a certain point. Where did he take you? What, what were the key things that he instilled in you that you think are, I mean, you kind of touched into some of them, but anything else that we can really dive into and pull back some layers on?
1: Yeah, I mean, just so being um, the the industry of catering changed dramatically. From when I first started working for him in 1997 um, to when I left there in, in 2006. Um, in 1997, caterers did catering, restaurants did restaurant food, you know, cafeterias to cafeteria and like so forth. By 2006, every restaurant had a catering team. Um, and, and, and and everybody catered. jason 's deli caters all the way to a five star restaurant yeah. has a catering team everybody caters that wasn 't the case in one thousand nine hundred and ninety seven caterers just did catering um, so to watch him adapt and adjust his uh, business to to kind of keep up with the changing of the um, of the industry i 'll give you a great example um, uh, a large percentage of our business in 1997 was corporate lunches. Um, by the early 2000s, um, he wasn't competing against other caterers; he was competing against 75 restaurants mm. um, and uh, 150 fast food shops.
0: Yeah, and now you're competing with delivery yeah, and, and, and a, even worse now, out. right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, to watch him make the decision to drop corporate catering. Which was his bread and butter for a while, but to have the wherewithal to realize it was going down and it was his return was was shrinking significantly. And so he could either allocate his time um, on trying to build something up that was just naturally going away or drop it and focus his time on building up that private client, you know, weddings, bar mitzvahs, um, private dinners, cocktail receptions, that sort of thing. Um, and making sure that his branding was really strong on that. And he did. And it paid off.
0: Why, why is that private client so much more value? Why is it so much more security in that private client?
1: Well, because um, two reasons. Um, number one is in the corporate culture, um, it's bottom line driven, right? So um, there's, a, there's a very different uh, algorithm they use of quality versus price Mm -hmm. um than a private client does when you have someone i mean we were his catering clientele was very very high end i mean the 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 top one percent of dallas okay um and so they um had a um large budget um large amounts of disposable income to um pay for things um, like like private events, and they had a very high level of expectation for the execution of that event. Um, and so for him, for us to f- focus our time on on um, delivering that high level of execution um, for a clientele that was also going to be loyal, because they weren't as focused on pricing as they were focused on quality.
0: Yes, and the other variable that... Uh, well I don't know if you're or you're going to get there, but the the relationship, right? Yes, you're working with a person. You can develop a relationship with one person. You can develop security in one person. You can't really develop security in a corporation because you're just a transaction to them. No, you're looking you nailed at the it. bottom line.
1: Yeah, you've nailed it. I mean, in a, you can develop a relationship with uh, the the man or woman that are that that is in charge of ordering corporate lunches but when the boss says we've got to trim this budget by 70% your
0: hands are tied your hands are tied yeah. and
1: the boss doesn't have that relationship yep. w- with you um in in that kind of private catering um private client side um, you're dealing with them directly and there is a loyalty you like they have their favorite restaurant they have their favorite caterer mm-hmm. and they're going to go to their favorite restaurant and they're going to use their favorite caterer so for him to really focus his attention on okay this is di- to be able to have the wherewithal to see it before it even happened you know and say I'm, I'm going to transition out of this and just focus my attention on this and really build this up um, was a was an incredibly insightful business decision. and It was beautiful to be a part of and see it, you know, even if I didn't even understand it at the time, to be able to look it back in hindsight and see how that went
0: through as we do the same thing today, because the restaurant industry is changing constantly as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So thank you for going to detail and pulling back the layers on that. So fast forwarding, uh, Bill, what do you want? One year later, Boom! You are investing in your first restaurant. Take us through the, the thought process and where, why you made the, the decisions you made, and the the, the the restaurant you made a decision on. Um, I had coming out of working
1: um, with Greg, I had uh, about a twelve month stint working at Parigi, and uh, it's just such a gem. It's it's a, it's an incredible restaurant. It's 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 it is to me the 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 best hidden gem uh, in Dallas because uh, it's got such an incredible loyal. And faithful customer base, but if everybody in Dallas knew about it, it would be you know reservations ten years in advance. And it's it's such a great gym. Um, so I had that experience. I was actually taking a class at SMU um, that Greg had recommended um, on entrepreneurialism. And it was a great class. It really pushed me to think about who I am and what do I actually want? Like, what do I, where do I want my career path to go? Um, so when you're thinking of, well, if my goal is, I want to have Wilco play at my 40th birthday, then I'm in a class that's saying, okay, how do I get to the path that, you know, the career path to get there? Um, and at the same time I was taking that class, um, I had I had left Reggie and gone on to uh, help open another restaurant. And Janice and I were still great friends. And um, <coughs> when, when I... Um, left the other restaurant, um, she was getting a little tired of trying to, you know, be the chef and run the restaurant and do everything. Um, and so she just kind of told me one day that, um, uh, if I was interested in buying Parigi that, um, she would sell it to me. And I showed up on my way to class at SMU with a letter of intent (laughs) to buy Parigi. Um, and she just called me that night and said, um, you know, my husband thinks I'm crazy and, Uh, Was like, where did you even come up with the price? How did you know? And I was like, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but you asked me and I said yes. Um, (laughs) And she said, you know, he brought up some valid points. And I think, you know, I'm just, um, I don't want to give up my restaurant, but I can't do it by myself. You know, what if we talked about a partnership? And I said, even better. Mm. Um, Why
0: was that better? Why do you think that was better?
1: Well, um, you know, honestly, what a, what a, I can't think of a better way to transition into. Uh, ownership is a big responsibility. Um, and there's, um, there's not a textbook in the world that can explain to you, uh, or or walk you through how to handle Murphy's law. Right,
0: (laughs) That's a good point. People say a lot, like you'll see a lot, like an expert or some guru being like, this is the way to do it. That is bullshit. There is no one way no. to do it. There's a, a million different ways to get from point A to point B. It depends on how what, what you want, right? What do you want? And how do you want to do it? And how do you want it? Like, what matters most to you? Like, all these variables are going to determine the best way to do it. Um, so what what was it about her that you, you said to yourself, this would make a good partner? Obviously, she had the track record, uh, but mm-hmm. did she... Did you guys compliment each other well?
1: Yeah, very much. So. I mean, like, um, even just laughing about... Um, when we talked about uh, division of responsibilities, she really loved catering and really loved to focus on catering. I was so burned out by doing catering for nine years. I didn't want to leave the restaurant. I just <laughs> wanted to work in the restaurant, and she wanted to do that. I was like, that's perfect. Um, but, you know, we also talked philosophically. Um, we were, we're both, uh, you know, two people that really um, care about where our food comes from and the, in, and, and the integrity of ingredients that we're serving, um, our customers. So there was a natural bond over, you know, focusing on what farms we're getting food from. And, um, I mean, that's kind of a core philosophy going into a partnership. Um, so that was a great start and great connection for us. Um, and then, you know, just, uh, we complemented each other in a million different ways. Um, and, and again, you know, much in the similar vein of Greg, Janice had been owner of Parigi at that point in time for uh, about five years um, before I bought in. Um, so she had five years worth of legwork on me. That's a, that's leg a good mark. Me. Five years. Yeah.
0: If you can make it five years, you probably got something there. Yeah. yeah.
1: And she... Um, so, uh, you know, she had five years further experience than me. Um, and so like trying to figure out, um, cause I, I, would do a majority of the cooking in the restaurant and she would do more like kind of managing, uh, like owning. Um, and so it was great if I'm in the restaurant making decisions, um, to have her to bounce things off of, um, so that, um. I, I had an expert opinion. someone yeah, you about, had that you know, mentor to, to make, right yeah, there, that built-in right mentor.
0: Uh, that is a, a unique approach to the ownership, uh, uh, buying into a pre-existing operation where you're not just taking over the business; you're you're joining the business. Five years in, that's a unique approach. What advice do you have for somebody who might be working at a restaurant where they can they love this restaurant, uh, they want to be a part of the restaurant, and they can tell that the the owners maybe. Getting burnt out, and maybe they need some help, and maybe they want to offload some responsibility. What's the best way to approach that situation to, to take ownership? I mean, she offered it to you, so it's kind of yeah, unique. I lucked out, but yeah,
1: I think, um, as with anything, be direct, yeah, yep. <laughs> you know, they can only say no, mm-hmm. um, but if somebody is burned out, somebody's tired, or whatever, um, they'd probably be willing to say yes. Um, after they say no,
0: yeah, I think the other variable that I pull from your story is that she wanted to focus on the back of house. She and she wanted uh, a young body in the front of house to, to, you know, take over the cooking so she could focus on the managerial um, management stuff.
1: Reverse that. She wanted somebody cooking in back of the house. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I was back I, of the house. Yeah, when I was thinking, um, and not even front of the house, back thinking, of the house.
0: I was thinking back, back of the house. Uh, oh office. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, oh yeah, yeah, no, front no, Front
1: no. of the kitchen. Um, I, I was. Um, she wanted. Um, I, I, I think that um, she just wanted a partner so that she wasn't doing it alone. She wasn't having to lift everything by herself. I so get, to speak. That. I get and, that. And that yeah. was perfect for me because I was ready to lift, um, but maybe needed a little guidance on what to lift, when to lift word it. Where to put it, down to, yeah, yeah, to put it yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it, it was very symbiotic in that way.
0: Awesome. Any other key lessons, key mentors before we dive into your story of momentum? Um. You know, uh,
1: a, a true lesson that I, I don't think can be, um, said enough is, uh, there are no shortcuts in life. Um, so we have this, we live in a very fast society today. We live in a society of convenience and things coming, come at us. You know, there's, there's instant gratification with social media. And I mean, that's actually been scientifically proven with dopamine being released in your body when you get a notification because your phone and all that stuff, um, but the way that life works is there are no shortcuts. Um, you set a goal and you have to work your way to that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to go through all the steps to get to the goal. Beautiful. Um, some steps might combine or whatever. That's how they manifest themselves, but there just are no shortcuts. Um, and if you just understand that you will be rewarded. I love it. The second thing, um, that I did want to point out cause you kind of mentioned it earlier. and I do think that it's an important lesson. Um, and I had to learn it the hard way. Uh, is um, always surround yourself with people that are greater than or equal to yourself. Mm. And you mentioned it um, earlier, and it and it's so true. Um, as one of the the grandma of of one of our our former interns here at Cafe Momentum <laughs> told he and I one one day she said she said son. You can't be soaring with the eagles when you're too busy hooting with the
0: owls. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's great. Oh, man. Well, thank you for that. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. We're back and we're about to dive into your story of cafe momentum, how it came to be. Uh, it all really kind of started with, uh, you already mentioned it. You already kind of gave a teaser. You went and you volunteered a ticket from there. Well, I I I,
1: uh, I was uh, on the board of an organization called Dallas Farmer's Market Friends, and we were doing an ice cream competition at the farmer's market. And um, the idea was to get college culinary students to make a couple of gallons of ice cream each, um, enter the competition, ha- charge the public five bucks to, to taste everybody's ice cream and vote on which one they liked the best, give the, the, the student that won a hundred bucks. Um, the other two hundred bucks we would buy a dry erase board for the staff at the market and you know <laughs> nice. win 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 everybody's yeah. happy and and so forth um one of the guys on our board um ran an organization that did programming inside one of the dallas county juvenile facilities and um he when we were talking about putting it to the competition the contest together he asked if he could uh bring eight young men from this particular juvenile facility And uh, everybody on the board was like, well, hell yeah, what a great idea. You know, this is amazing. Uh, And his exact words were great. I just have to find somebody to teach him how to make ice cream. And everybody at the board just pointed at me and was like, oh, he'll do it. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I found myself on a Thursday afternoon uh, in May of 2008 uh, teaching eight young men in a juvenile facility how to make ice cream. Um, The moment that I met them, uh, I realized that I had stereotyped them before I had ever met them. Uh, and I was really disappointed in myself. I just thought I was a better human being than that. And uh, to be confronted with it right before my eyes, I realized I wasn't. All eight of these young men looked me in the eye when they spoke, and all eight of them called me sir. My joke is I've, you know, working in kitchens for 23 years, I've been called a lot of names in a lot of languages and a lot of kitchens. <laughs> Not sir. <laughs> um, and, and, and then, you know, they they were so eager to learn so enthusiastic to do something they could be proud of. And for so many of them, you could tell that was kind of a first-time feeling to do something and say, I did this. I did it myself. Um, All eight of them had never tasted a fresh raspberry. They thought it was a flavor of candy. They had never seen or tasted one. Um, They thought I was trying to make them eat grass when I handed them tarragon. Um, And yet they trusted me. And, And for no reason that good reason to trust me they still did they tasted all these fruits they made their ice creams two days later the county's busting them down at the farmer's market they're competing with um, alongside these college culinary students and at the end of the competition one of them actually won the whole thing Wow! and when he won he was so proud And, you know, told me, I just love to make food and give it to people and put a smile on their face. Take
0: us to that moment when he won. Do you remember when he... Oh, yeah. Take us to that moment.
1: Uh, It was uh, both of us looking at each other like, holy shit, what just happened? (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, he came running up to me and he's screaming in my face, sir, I just love to cook. And I just screamed right back at him, sir, me too. I mean, we were like two kids in a candy store. And he said, I just love to make food and give it to people and put a smile on their face. And I thought, oh my God, you know, like, first, like, how dare you stereotype this sweet kid? Because he could have said, I want to make food and make money and pay the electric bill. Or I want to make food and get rich. Uh, wh- whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter. That's, that's nor- you know. Um, but he said, I love to make food and give it to people and put a smile on their face. Uh, and it reminded me, you know, my passion for cooking comes from going to Sunday suppers at my grandparents' house every Sunday growing up. It was my mom, my dad, me, my aunts, uncles, cousins, all of us. And you know, so food to me was about camaraderie. It was about family. It was about love. It was about that bond. It was about breaking bread together. It had nothing to do with, with making money. Um, he said, When I get out, I'm going to get a job in a restaurant. I thought, wow. And he said, Sir, where do you think I should work? Wendy's or Chili's? <laughs> and I uh, heeded the advice of my father and said, Whoever hires you first. And whoever pays you the most money second. (laughs) Uh, And I just drove home that day, um, and my mind is racing, right? And the first thing that I'm thinking about is he's never going to make it. Mm. He's never going to make it to Wendy's or Chili's. Um, Let's just look at the surface. He's going right back to the same house, the same street, the same neighborhood, the same poverty, the same school, the same drugs, same gangs, same everything that had led him on a path to detention. Nothing has changed since he got locked up. Nothing. In fact, what I you know, knowing now what I know now, um, it, the only thing that changes is his resources have been allocated to somebody else. Um, but when you when I started digging a little deeper, I just started thinking about this kid's life is dictated by choices that we put on him before he was ever born, that he had no decision over. But they directly affected his life, his life's path, his journey, his ability to succeed, everything. Yeah. Things like the color of your skin, things like the socioeconomic class you're born into, things like the part of town that you're born into, things like the schools you had access to, food that you had access to. He didn't decide any of that, but we put labels on it and we decided what it meant.
0: Yeah. You know, there's a few things that are coming to my mind uh, as you talk that I just want to kind of reflect on and dive deeper into. And uh, the first one is perspective. You're just talking like what you just share with us gives us perspective. Uh, We like you said, like, you know, perspective and privilege. And for those people who are privileged and may not think if you're in a middle class home with family and friends that love you, you are privileged. Because it could be a lot worse. And we need to like stop and get that perspective to look at what we have versus what other people have who have no no control over that situation. Like They were born into this world, into certain uh, ecosystems, certain environment, and they have no control over that. So it's so important to get that perspective and to yep. be open-minded. The second thing is uh, stereotyping, right? Back to perspective. Like We need to be open-minded. Uh, we can't just assume. We can't just th- let these... Uh, Uh, societal stereotypes influence our decisions. You really have to go into every relationship every encounter with an open mind.
1: You absolutely do and um, you know I think and that's the thing you know um, working with these young men and young ladies you realize that um, they they wear a scarlet letter on their chest and it's the letter that we gave them Mm -hmm. um, that says this is who I am. Not who I want to be but who you've told me that I am. Mm -hmm. And we send those messages to them every single day by our actions and our decisions. I will give you a great example. How many times does a child of color walk down the street, especially a young male walk down the street and someone, the most bleeding heart of liberals of liberals clutch their purse when he walks by.
0: What message does that send to them?
1: I'll never walk down the street and have to worry about that. And I'm tattooed up and look like a train wreck. I'll never have to worry about yeah. that. But he does. And what message does that send him? And we can candy coat it all day long and say, well, I'm just, you know, data says this or stat. It doesn't matter. You're taking a sweet child and telling him, this is what I think of you. Mm-hmm. And People, he like, he has to
0: he has to digest that. Yeah. He has to live with it. He has to unpack it. Yeah. And you're bringing up another point. Uh, so often you hear somebody who gets caught up in trouble or they get mugged or they get whatever th- bad thing happens to them, and they say, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I was just walking down the street. Well, what was your body language saying? What were you communicating to this, this person subconsciously to, to make them want... You know what I'm saying? Like, we've got to be so mindful of how we present ourselves to people. Uh, we do things subconsciously. You've got to really be, pay attention to what's going on there.
1: You do. Uh, and it's a two-way street, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think... Um, that's just it. We don't think that we don't think that way through, or we wouldn't be clutching our purse every time a young black male walks by us. We wouldn't be um, making those. We don't. Um, in, in in you know, at the end of the day, it becomes racial because we don't make those same assumptions about white kids, um, and then we pass it off by saying, um, "Well." We make an excuse for it when at the end of the day, this is a sweet child. I mean, in in, in opening up this restaurant, people would say to me, what are you going to do when those kids stab each other in the kitchen? Those kids don't want to work. They just want to check. Those kids have never been to a nice restaurant. We had an event that we did last week and a guy walked up to one of our young men who's African-American uh, and said, you know, I just want you to know that I grew up on welfare, and if you just work hard enough, you can you know, do anything. This kid's not on welfare. But he's like, that's what they think of me? That's who they think I am? How am I supposed to overcome that? Yeah. And, and we can talk all day long about you can work hard and you can do this and that, but man... That is a giant burden to carry that we shouldn't have to carry. I've worked my butt off, and I'm very proud of the success that I have had in my life. I've never had anyone tell me I can't do it.
0: Yeah, I'm grateful that you're going here because it needs to be... Discuss. It needs to be highlighted. We need to be mindful of what the the, the, the decisions we're making and how we're influencing the world around us, right? Uh, but let's let's lighten the mood a little bit because when you, I need to tell you about the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's um there's one other thing that I was going to put in the back burner before bringing it to the surface uh, that I pulled from what you share with us, and it's the transformative power we have as business owners. We have a transformative power to make decisions, to influence someone's life, to support somebody, to give them the values that they never had we can be that person for people we can be the example of of what you know humanity should be and yep. can be right a lot of these people grow up into situations that they have no control or, over but you can take them out of that by being an example of how you you know what can be right yep am, am i out of line by saying that or
1: no you're absolutely right i mean i think um that's the th- that's the beauty of the restaurant industry right anybody that's read kitchen confidential knows that this industry takes everybody Takes everybody in, and then even when you see, you know, the National Restaurant Association put out some data: ninety-five um, percent of all restaurant managers started off as a dishwasher in this country. Eighty-five percent of all restaurant owners started off as a dishwasher in this country. I mean, it's one of with with anything and everything going on in this country, and whatever you want to say and not say, and and whatnot. The fact that this is an industry that you can work your way up in um, is a, is a is a true testament. To the greatness of this, ind- why I love it so much, yeah. you know, and, and then and then to think that uh, this industry employs ten percent of the entire workforce in this country—it's one of the largest independent employers in this country.
0: Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of influence. It's it's really yeah. overwhelming, and um, I I think I don't really know where I want to take the conversation because it's such <laughs> a unique uh, uh, angle that you've taken. Uh, you're a nonprofit, uh, yeah. so take us through. I mean, we haven't even talked about the evolution of Cafe Momentum and how you scaled it into what it is today because you didn't start in the space, did you?
1: No, we didn't. So, I, And I can, um, just as a brief summary, um, we got our start doing monthly pop-up dinners. Uh, we did 41 of them over three and a half years. And the idea was you know, we needed to raise money and raise awareness to open the restaurant, but we also needed to break through uh, the stereotypes that people had about the kids. And so the idea behind the pop-up was very simple. Go in one of the top restaurants in Dallas on a Sunday night when they're closed, sell tickets to a private dinner, have the chef write a four-course menu, but his or her staff to not only execute the food in the kitchen but serve it to the level and quality of service of that restaurant – were eight young men that we would bus in from a juvenile facility. The dinners out of the gate were incredibly successful. Within the first year, our dinners were selling out in 15 seconds. Wow. Um, and How many tickets is that? Uh, depending on the size of the restaurant, anywhere between 80 and 120. Wow. Um, and... Um, the thing is, is people started saying, this could be my son. This could be my son. How can I help? This needs to happen. Um, they began to advocate, you know, they, they turned from people that were stereotyping the kids, the hardcore advocates for them. Um, and then the restaurant opened, uh, on January 29th, 2015. So we just turned four. That's awesome. Um, the restaurant itself, uh, has been consistently ranked as one of the top restaurants in Dallas. As a matter of fact, um, Eater always has us in their th- list of thirty essential restaurants, and um, the Dallas Observer just came out with a, a list of the one hundred best restaurants in Dallas. Which, to put into context, there are over fourteen thousand restaurants in Dallas, Jesus. Uh, and they ranked us number forty-four. Wow, man! Congratulations! Um, and 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 it, it you know for me, um, it, it's it's incredibly validating because it proves that the kids can and will rise to whatever level of expectation you set for them, as long as we give them the tools, resources guidance support hope confidence and opportunity to get there uh and that's because our restaurant is a 12-month paid post-release internship for young men and young ladies exiting dallas county juvenile detention facilities a little bit about how that works um over the course of that 12 months the kids work their way through every single station in the restaurant so in no particular order they are a dishwasher a prep cook a line cook a busser a server and a host or hostess we do that for three reasons Number one is we're teaching them uh, life skills and social skills, and we're allowing them to practice them and apply them in the different stations and the different environments um, that are presented in those stations around the restaurant. So, like, the way that you would appropriately disagree with uh, a fellow line cook in the kitchen when you're trying to get food out for 15 tables at once is, is very different than the way in which you would appropriately disagree with a customer that sat down 10 minutes ago, ordered three minutes ago, and is complaining that they've waited 45 minutes for their food. Not that that ever happens in restaurants. <laughs> um, the second thing is they're learning what their strengths are and what their interests are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those strengths and interests don't have to be applied in just uh, a restaurant. You know, that they're um, things that translate into other industries. We had a young man uh, about two months ago ran a special on a Saturday night, said whoever sells the most of the special gets to order a free entree at the end of the night, typical for a restaurant. He sold us out of every special in 45 minutes, and he wasn't even waiting tables. He was a busser, and he realized that he was the first point of contact with any table because he was filling their water glasses. So he would hurry over to the table, fill the glass, give him his pitch uh, on ordering that special, and then tell him, when you order that special, tell, tell the waiter that DJ told you to order it. Um, I, I told that same story to a group of attorneys recently, and they said, well, he could be an attorney. And I laughed and said, that doesn't speak well of you all. But <laughs> um, but but it does translate across multiple industries. Um, so so they can look at, you know, who, what do I want? Who do I want to be? What do I want to do with my life? Uh, and the third thing they're learning is what it means to be a team player. They're learning that when they're washing dishes, if they're not getting their job done, they're affecting a server's ability to get their job done. They're affecting a line cook's ability to get their job done. Uh, and that's a great life lesson, and that applies that applies outside of work, that applies at home, mm-hmm. that applies at school. Um, in addition to all of that going on, we do have a, a programming team of of case managers, licensed clinical social worker, curriculum coordinator, education coordinator. Um, that work to build an ecosystem of support around the kids so that while we are um, you know, giving them the opportunity to work, earn income, and learn those skills, we're also um, holistically addressing any of those issues um, that have become barriers or impediments to them uh, achieving success in life, um, starting with stabilization. 62% of the kids that have worked in this restaurant have been homeless. If you're 15, 16 years old and you're homeless, that typically also means abandoned, mm-hmm. uh, and so you're on your own. And, and they don't trust anything institutional. They don't trust any systems. So they're looking at how do they hide, literally hide, um, from, from anyone catching them. Uh, and people that allow you to hide on their floors or wherever are are not the most savory of people. And so um, we look to, you know, we we have multiple housing partners so we can address housing specific to what their needs are, uh, multiple education partners so we can get them back in school and on track to graduate. Um, We have a partnership with our county hospital so that our kids not only um, have access to free medical care, but they have access to an actual primary care physician, and they're going and getting physicals and dental exams and vision exams. They're doing clinical assessments to see if there's any underlying trauma or or psychological uh, needs that that need to be addressed. Um, So again, like we're holistically kind of addressing this financial literacy training. We're putting them through arts programming, uh, parenting classes, sex ed, um, yeah. So that we go from stabilization to foundation building so that by the time they're leaving here, um, they've got a solid foundation, uh, confidence, um, and, and a, um, uh, confidence
0: to self-advocate. Chad, you know, it's really an honor to be able to make an example of what you're doing here. (laughs) You just laid it all out. And I'm curious, what's the evolution? Like, what's the next step? Are there other cities? Another in in Detroit, I believe, there's somebody similar doing uh, hiring convicts. trying to be that, that, that uh, avenue to a, a better direction, right? Uh, what can we do if we want if, if this is resonating with us? we want to try to do something similar in our own communities? Or do you have plans on bringing this this model, this framework to other cities?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, my goal all along has been to scale this. Um, in fact, I was interviewed by a publication, and the, the lady interviewing me asked, you know, do you, you know, do you want to open up more restaurants? I said, oh, I want to open up more Cafe Momentums and Starbucks. And then that was the head, headline of the article. Um, I didn't realize there were 28,000 Starbucks around the world, but uh, I've since scaled it down a bit. Um, But the the goal is to scale. I mean, there's 65,000 kids that go into the juvenile system in the state of Texas alone. Um, And we've had the wonderful, wonderful, wonderfully good fortune to um, get to travel and, and meet people around the country. And the first thing they ask is, when are you coming to our city? When are you coming to our city? Um, so we've intentionally been building everything here to be able to scale. Building the um, framework. Putting the the systems in place. Um, and this
0: is a lesson that can be transferred to other models, other just standard business models. Before you scale, you've you got to get those systems put in place. You've got to get the framework there. And so, it's, so you don't have to be doing all these crazy things all over the place. You can just move it over, right? Well, exactly.
1: Um, you know, uh, otherwise... Otherwise, you're you're just being reactive Mm -hmm. Um, and honestly, what successful has ever been built through reactivity? You know, I mean, um, when you're proactive, you're in a much better position to make more sound decisions Mm -hmm. um, and, and keep pushing an upward trajectory rather than just trying to prevent everything from tail spinning down.
0: Awesome. So I think I derailed you a little bit. You were talking about your, your vision for the future. Keep going.
1: <clears throat> no, I, uh, you know, our goal, like I said, all along has been to scale. Um, so um, we're in the process now. You know, we spent the first uh, year or two kind of getting our, our feet underneath us. Uh, the third year kind of figuring out what was working and not. And the fourth year kind of fixing those things and putting systems into place. So um, now we're in a place where um, – we're finalizing that process and then starting to do scenario planning around what does scaling look like? Uh, Does it look like partnering with another organization in another city? Does it look like going in and, you know, starting from the ground up like we did here, Um, going through all those scenarios and we've, you know, um, brought in a bunch of our uh, uh, friends from around the country that are way smarter than us um, and and they're helping us kind of build that out and look at it so that um, hopefully by the end of this year we'll have some pretty
0: exciting announcements. Beautiful. Um, anything we have not discussed to this point, anything that you think you can drop on us to add more value to the listeners, anything you want to bring to the table before going to the speed ramp? Well,
1: I, I think in the meantime, and, and you know, you you kind of touched on it um, just a minute or two ago, um, is you know people saying what can I do? What can I do? Man, it's really simple. Just hire one person. Mm-hmm. Take
0: a risk on one at-risk youth. Mm-hmm you know, and pour yourselves into them. Yeah. And this is something that comes up often. I feel like we are, we, we protect ourselves, right? Because I, I truly believe that if, if you are generous and you give people the benefit, the benefit of the doubt more often, I mean, you're, you're going to get burnt at least once. You're Absolutely. You're get burnt, but not like you will help so many people out. If you don't allow yourself to get jaded, I mean, it always almost comes out in the end better when, in, when at, you, at you the take the a end, chance and yeah
1: at the end of the day the reward is so much greater yeah. than the risk
0: mm-hmm. so don't let getting burnt stop you from doing the right thing and yeah if it people. doesn't work the first time try it again yep awesome um so the mission statement of restaurant Stoppable is to inspire empower and transform the industry and one of the questions i want to start asking all my guests is how have you transformed who are you the day you came out of culinary school to the today the man you are today how have you transformed <laughs> are we recording another
1: episode <laughs>
0: <laughs> paraphrase as well as you can
1: uh you know i, I i'm uh I, I i think probably the best way to hmm golly that's a great question uh, I'm, I'm, I'm,
0: Let me ask you this differently. You just recently went through an exercise, right, where you were going through all of your core values and your guiding principles, so that that was recent. Yeah. What did you come up with?
1: I don't think my values have changed. Uh, I think I am still the same person. I think the way I would say that I've transformed is I'm, I'm more aware of who I am um, and how I fit into this world um, as a whole. Um, there are things that... Um, I previously took for granted that I no longer take for granted. Um, there are, um, I'm more content with discovering my flaws and addressing them and unpacking them. Um, and, uh, y- you know, it- it's funny. I've always been a very risk tolerant person. Uh, I'm a very ready fire aim kind of yeah. guy. <laughs> um, I think that, um, I'm still that same person, but I'm far more calculated now
0: um, because I know more. Mm. Chad, I've loved this conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. That you love the most about Rebel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Perseverance. What is your biggest weakness? Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. What's one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process?
1: Yeah, the greatest question I've ever heard asked um, in in an interview I was asking a potential case manager candidate here at Cafe Winum, if, if you watched a kid walk in high, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And that was a really telling thing to see. You know, there's so many people dance around it and walk around it. The best answer I ever heard was, I go get him a glass of water and ask him if he was okay.
0: I love that, man. I love that. What's one current challenge you have and how are you dealing with it? Time.
1: Time is always a challenge. There's only so many hours and minutes in a day. Um, and you got to sleep. Some of them I've tried not to, <laughs> um, but you know, uh, time becomes the essence. So I think for me, it's, it's time management.
0: So that's, we're going to go d- deeper. We're going to pull it back a back layer. What's one time management tool practice, something that you're doing to make better use of your time?
1: I'm taking a really great class right now um, on leadership at Stegen Academy. Um, and they've really forced me to do two things. Number one is own my calendar. Um, so um, not uh, by owning my calendar, that means not letting others own my calendar. Your time so is your time. Not, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, and kind of owning that, and that's a really hard process for me. I mean, I, I'm, I, I've realized just... How much I don't.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that comes back to what you said earlier about being intentional, not being reactive. Your time is your time. No matter who you are in this world, the one thing, the most valuable asset we all have is time. And no matter who you are in the world, you're born with 24 hours in a day. What are you doing with your time, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Block that out. Uh, Share one code of conduct or, or belief you teach your team, a core value, a way to be. Integrity. I love it. What is integrity to you?
1: Integrity is um, it's a, it's an authenticity. Um, it's it's being who you are, saying who you are, owning who you are, um, acknowledging who you are, and always working to make yourself better.
0: Great. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff? This is something that's common within your four walls, not common within the industry.
1: Oh man, uh, you know what? Um, I don't know how to explain this. It, succinctly but um, you know when our kids come in uh, they could be mad at the world and the natural reaction is to uh, fight fire with fire um, and what we have to do is humble ourselves um, and um, and say um, instead of going toe to toe with them just saying do you need a hug and realizing that um, to look beyond um, what's in front of you? That there's something going on behind
0: all of that, yeah. and getting to that. You know what I love is you're teaching your people emotional intelligence, and I think that is just so powerful. It's a skill that we just don't learn well enough in today's society. Uh, See, I could have just said emotional intelligence. <laughs> 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 one thing I am gonna do is paraphrasing. I've been told, so my pleasure. Uh, what is one book that's a must read that makes a better person or a restaurant operator?
1: Oh man, um, you know what? I'll go with Outliers. Mm. That's
0: a great book. You already shared one lesson from that book. Was there another lesson that you, you drew from that book that's worth diving to? You, this.
1: you know, um, I, I really love the um, this the story about uh, Bill Joy and how uh, you know these the, the what do they call him the the grandfather of modern day computing. He built the DOS operating system, and um, but the thing that I really took away from that I thought that was interesting was. He went to the University of Michigan in 1960-something or other um, at the same time that they had installed, I, I believe it was like the first comp- college computer lab. Um, and he was a psychology major but walked by that computer lab every day. And kind of the moral that I took from that, and then and he, and one day he wandered in because he was just curious. And that yeah. took, they let him take a class and, that, and, and, and on and on. Um, if he had gone to college five years earlier, it yeah, wouldn't have happened. Right? You know, and crazy. five years later, it may not have mattered because other people would have already been in there. It wouldn't have been as intriguing or interesting to him. But he was right place, right time. And I think that what you pull out of that book ultimately is um, there's a mixture of things that go into success. And some of, them, some of them are in your control and some of them are out.
0: But just being conscious of them is probably the most important thing you yeah. can do. Any of Malcolm Gladwell's books are just oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> He's an awesome writer. Uh, what is one thing that you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? I don't think we
1: we take the time to stop and smell the roses. I think we're so busy trying to make sure that. Mouths get fed in the most literal and figurative of senses um, that we don't realize the impact that we're truly making. I mean, again, kind of referencing Kitchen confidential and, and the, you know, the group of outcasts that, that Bourdain describes, and, and you know you, every restaurant has their story, and every restaurant tour has their stories, uh, and, and, and just kind of being able to appreciate the fact that um, there's a lot of souls that have been saved in this industry mm-hmm. because yeah. we gave them opportunity and purpose.
0: What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that has had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, uh, profitability, anything along those lines? <laughs>
1: uh, I'll say two things. Number one is my calendar. <laughs> um, actually using my phone to do my calendar.
0: Google calendars, iOS calendars. Um,
1: we use um, Microsoft Outlook. Gotcha. Um, but, but, but owning it, right? And, ha- and others can see it and know what's going on. Um, and then I, I think specific to what we do, and you know, our job is 24-7 in working with these kids, uh, and we use GroupMe, and that's been an incredible resource for us to keep up to the minute what's going on, whether a case manager's off at a hospital with one of the kids and a manager's working with their brother uh, in the restaurant. We're keeping real-time accord of what's going on so that everybody's um, got up to the minute information on exactly everything that's going on so we can make more
0: educated decisions Mm. and this is the last question it's a doozy get ready for it if you got the news you'd be leaving this world tomorrow all the memories of you your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom three things you know to be true for the good of humanity and for your legacy what would those three things be About me or the world? (laughs) Uh, About the world. Things you know to be true about the world. Uh, um,
1: (laughs) You know, um, despite all of its flaws, the world is beautiful. Um, We should embrace that we're all different. And... um, our goal in life
0: should be to leave this world a better place than we found it. Beautiful. I have loved this conversation. Thank you so much. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one person you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor on the show like you made for us today?
1: Oh, man. um, That's a long list. How do I narrow <laughs> it down? Um, you know who would be a good one? Because <laughs> it would be entertaining as hell. Uh, Is Jack Perkins.
0: Jack Perkins.
1: Maple and Motor and Mockingbird Diner. He always has an opinion, um, whether we like it or not.
0: Jack Perkins, look out, I'm coming after you. And how can we connect with you if we want to follow your work, if we want to get involved with what you're doing anyway, anyhow? What's the best way to connect?
1: Um, Go to our website, www.cafemomentum.org. Um, feel free to follow us on social media we're on Facebook we have a Facebook page Um, we're at Cafe Momentum on Twitter and Instagram do you have your own Um, uh, handle? I do Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter and Instagram I'm at Viva V-I-V-A underscore Chato, (laughs) C-H-A-T-O.
0: Nice. I'll have a summary of today's discussion, a link to all the tools, services, and uh, resources recommended and how to connect with Chef Chadhauser over there. Head over to uh, restaurantunstoppable.com. And again, Chef, I just cannot say it enough. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, knowledge, and mentorship. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable with all that momentum you have. Thank you, brother. (laughs) Cheers.